Today is Thursday, May 5th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 459 featuring Heavy.com's Sean Devaney is powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. All right, well, suddenly the Celtics and Bucks conference semifinals, it is a best of five. C's and Bucks, of course, they split two games at the Garden. It's off to Milwaukee in, as we sit here, a couple days, Saturday afternoon, game three. Sean Devaney, Heavy.com, joins the program. I'm Adam Kaufman. Not to worry, Evan Valenti is not on vacation. He is lurking in the background. He is doing his usual production work, and you can count on him in some way, shape, or form being part of the show. But I'm just happy, Sean, that... That we don't have to come in here all doom and gloom and, you know, rattling off the percentages of, you know, when a a team drops the first two home games of a best of seven series, what are the odds they come back to it? Yada, yada, yada. It's positivity for a few days. Feeling good. It's, It's a brand new us. Yeah, you you came up on my uh, on my video here, and I was wondering who you're going to be rooting for uh, in Game Three, but uh, I think I've got my answer. So, yep. uh, yeah, no, I mean, look, it's uh, it's obviously going down 0-2 uh, at home is is nearly an impossible task. We did see it last year uh, with the Clippers, but uh, uh, certainly not a hole you want to dig yourself into. Uh, and I think the the encouraging thing is not just that the Celtics won that second game the way they won it; it's the way they bounced back, the way they corrected a lot of things that went wrong. Uh, in uh, uh, in game one, it looked a lot more like the team we've seen going back to, uh, you know, December 31st, really. You weren't expecting there to be a lack of bias on a show called Celtics. Week, were you? <laughs> I, I would uh, I would have been disappointed if there wasn't as much bias. Yeah, the, I mean, the show isn't last. called like, you know, your NBA run around <laughs> or something like that. I mean, this is this is all about bleeding green here. I, I'm going to I got to get a Celtics tattoo on my forearm just to be able to show off to the people let's let's pick up though right where you began which you know I had on my list of things that I wanted to get to with you because I I think it's a a a very good place to start which is you know what do we expect in game three off of these first two games you know I after that first game Sean where uh, I I don't want to say the the Bucks were great they weren't you know not let's not like overplay what they did like they were certainly limited on offense because the Celtics were very very good defensively in that game but the Celtics you know I think were so bad offensively that it made some people respect what the Bucks did in game one defensively maybe a little too much you know I think there was a lot of make miss you know missing a lot of easy open opportunities easy for me to say obviously but you know shots that the Jalen Browns and Jason Tatums and and Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard and these guys they just don't miss all that often at least not all in the same game and you know more and more metrics came out where it was the Celtics really based on some of the advanced stats that are out there and I won't run them all down for the people you've probably seen the tweets by now but the Celtics had offensively their second worst game of the entire season, not just, you know, that's 80 some odd games, the entire year, they played their second worst game of the whole year in game one against Milwaukee. So I I just, I kept tweeting out, look, I don't know if the Celtics are going to win game two or not, but I know there's just no way they can be that bad offensively again against a Bucks team in, in general against anybody, but against a Bucks team that really they actually had some pretty good offensive success against during the regular season. So you tell me, you know, ahead of game three, 
was this team or is this team more like what we saw in game one or more like what we saw in game two, or is there a, a happy medium there? Yeah. You know, I think it'll be more like what we saw in game two. I think that uh, they, they made some of the mistakes that they were making early on in the year uh, in, in game one, you know, in terms of the lack of ball movement for one thing, uh, but then also falling in love with the three pointer, uh, you know, obviously they took 43 in, in game two. So it's not like they, uh, they shied away from the shot altogether, uh, but taking 50 in game one was, was, was just far too many. Uh, and, and, you know, the thing is that I know everybody hates the mid range shot. You know, every, it's the worst thing you can do in, in the NBA is take a, uh, a 15 footer these days, but the Celtics aren't bad at that. And, and, and especially Jalen Brown is, is about a 46, 47% uh, mid range shooter. Uh, and if he's going to get switched where he has, uh, you know, six foot two Drew Holiday on him, he's got to look for that 15 footer because he can just shoot it right over him. It's a pretty good shot. Uh, in that first game, they were 0 for 4 on, 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 uh, uh, on mid range shots. And, and one of those was, was Nick Stauskas with 10 seconds left. So <laughs> we can kind of cut that one. They just weren't, they were either trying to get to the basket or they were taking threes. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's an advanced stats mind that says that's perfect. It's not, you know, sometimes that's not what the defense has given you. Milwaukee's going to give you those mid range shots. Uh, if you've got a guy like Jalen Brown, he's got to be taking them uh, because it's a shot he can make. It's a high percentage shot relative to what else you're going to get. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think if they continue that mentality and they continue to say, uh, you know, we're not going to take 50 mid range shots, but certainly if we can take, you know, 15 to 20 good ones, uh, that we've got to be willing to do that. You know, I don't know, Sean, if there are any Bucks fans out there listening, just looking for the Celtics perspective on things, but for the sake of not being like 100% totally completely slanted all the time, the Bucks aren't going to be as bad in game three as they were in game two either. I mean, this is a t- they, they had 86 points. They had 86 points, which again, season low across their entire year, not just playoffs. The Bucks offensively have not been that bad the entire year and uh, again much like what I said with with that first question you give a lot of credit to the Celtics defense as well but it was also just a bad offensive day for the Bucks. part of that is you know continuing to adjust and not having Chris Middleton some of that obviously is just you know some of the role players are, are going to ultimately be better and we'll as we get a little deeper into the show get specifically to what the Celtics have been doing with regard to Giannis and Tentacumpo and what sorts of adjustments will continue to be made there. But what kind of bounce back offensively do you expect from Milwaukee here in this next one, especially being at home? Yeah, uh, no question that, that they're going to try to continue to do the things that they were doing in game one. Uh, you know, one thing that, that was a criticism for a long time of Mike Woody Holzer and, and uh, until he won a championship, it's funny how those things uh, will change, is, is that, uh, you know, that he didn't make very many adjustments. And, and they're not going to make that many adjustments. They're going to continue to play uh, the way they've always played. Um, you know, I think that, that one of the real concerns that you have to have uh, if you're, if you're button holder is just the number of, of shots that your, that your other guys are getting. Because most of the shots are going through Giannis and, and, and Drew Holiday. Part of that was turnovers. Part of that was, uh, you know, Celtics did a much better job rebounding uh, in game two. Uh, so you've really got to, if, if you're buttonholes, you've got to make some adjustments to help those two things, cut down on the turnovers, uh, and, uh, and, and, and try to get some, some other guys shots. You know, in, in game two, Giannis and, 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 and Drew Holiday took 47 shots. Everybody else took 26. Uh, in game one, that was 45, 45. You know, so, so those two guys took 45 shots. Everybody else took 45. That's what you want. You want more of a balance there. 
Uh, and of course, you know, you're also talking about taking 18 fewer shots in game two. That's a matter of turnovers and rebounds. One thing that was a real difference for the Celtics offense, Sean, in, in these two games, uh, at least depending on, you know, how you were paying, like you referenced the the number of three-pointers that were taken. Of course, the, the numbers were pretty similar, not just in terms of attempts, but made threes. And and, and it, it gets a lot of attention when you say, hey, Celtics made a, a franchise playoff record 23-pointers in game two. They won by 23 points. It's easy to forget, at least in the moment, you know, of saying that, that, well, they hit 18 in game one and lost by 12. You know, the, the number was right. not all that different. You know, the, the big difference, again, sort of the anomaly that was game one was they hit a, a franchise record low number of two pointers. You know, they were just so bad. They weren't great from three. I mean, they still hit whatever, 35, 36%. You know, more often than not, you're going to take that from three, especially hitting 18 three pointers. But as, is this how Milwaukee, and we talked a lot about this going into the series and sort of coming to fruition, but I'm curious as to your thoughts. Is this how Milwaukee is electing to defend Boston? You know, is it just, look, we're, you know, you're going to do how you do from three and in large part, that's going to defend the outcome or, or define the outcome of these games because hitting 18 in game one, hitting 20 in game two, what should we expect in, in game three and beyond here? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's what Buttonholzer has done since he got there, you know, has, has, has really been, um, you know, he has changed his defense somewhat. They do more switching than when he first got there. Uh, you know, they weren't doing any switching at all. That was, again, that was one of the criticisms of him. Uh, he, he does have a more varied defense than, uh, than he has in the past. And that's, that's been beneficial in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, certainly we'll see some adjustments um as we go but you know packing the paint that's always going to be something that's going to be a staple of the Bucks defense they're going to make it really tough for you uh, to get inside and to get easy baskets that's that's they're going to try to take away transition uh, they're going to take away everything they can from them that's that that's what they do uh, and that's what they're going to continue to do uh, and then they're going to try to sell out on, on contests out to the three-point line uh you know again they'll give you those shots and 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 you know, certainly even in game one, the Celtics had plenty of open shots. We saw that, that, that they had plenty of open shots from the three-point line. Uh, but the Bucks will, you know, do what they can to try to uh, do as many runouts and, and make those three-pointers, <clears throat> excuse me, at least a little bit contested. Uh, that's, that's, that's the way that they've always played defense. I don't think that's going to change very much. Uh, but they are going to make it as hard as, as they can to get into that paint. That's, that's, since, since Butterholz has been a coach, it goes back to Atlanta as well. That's been sort of the foundation of, of, of the way that he's uh, coached defense. And, and I just don't see that changing. So uh, again, the, the best shots the Celtics are often going to have are going to be in the mid range. So elbow jumpers. Uh, and, you know, I like Jalen Brown. Uh, I, I like his odds when he takes those shots, especially if you can get a switch, if you can get Drew Holiday, uh, or, or, or Grayson Allen or whoever it is, you've got the size advantage. You can shoot over the guy. I think you got to take those shots. So, uh, yeah, you know, this is, this is, it's kind of typical of the way, uh, Milwaukee has played defense for over the last four or five years. So, um, I, I don't think we'll see a whole lot change in terms of that. Uh, and, you know, the Celtics have to continue to go to what has been working and, and that's what's going to work. I realize how good, you know, Jason Tatum was in game two or, or obviously Grant Williams, both ends of the floor, you know, his, his career high 21 points in the playoffs and obviously the defense on Giannis and Horford's role defensively on Giannis and some of the other guys. But, you know, you've been talking about Jalen Brown here and I think that I, I know he's, he sort of gets a little bit of flack for for, you know, disappearing in the second half. He only had five second half points, but 
he was as important as as anybody else in that victory, just as being a tone setter in that opening half. You know, from yeah. from you know Giannis being contained, limited, whatever, not altogether stopped because you can't stop him. But for Jalen to go off for twenty five points just in the first half, which is more than double what he had in Game One in totality, it just you know I I I don't think that can be underappreciated. The the, the question really is, can he do it or anything similar to it again? Yeah, I mean, he's going to have to. You know, he's got to be aggressive. Uh, they're obviously going to put their the, the, the bulk of their defensive attention on on, on Jason Tatum. Uh, and, and so it's got to be Jalen Brown who's able to get free uh, and get some shots that he likes. Uh, you know, that's – and you're right. You know, I mean, even if – as long as he comes out aggressive and, and, and starts off that way and, and, and makes the Bucks aware of his presence right from the beginning, uh, then that, that, that forces the rest of the team now – uh, okay, how much do I commit to trying to get the ball out of Jason Tatum's hands if I've got Jalen Brown there as well? So, uh, yeah, that's that's going to be a real key. You know, I mean, o- opening this game, especially going on the road, you don't want to be in a in a position where you're on your heels trying to come back. You want to be in a position where, uh, you, you know, you're you're taking the fight to them uh, to open, so you don't get the crowd, uh, you know, sort of cascading on you right from the beginning. Uh, and that crowd's been terrific. So, you know, that's that's something that they've got to be really really aware of is 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 keeping up that aggressive level that, that level of aggressiveness especially what we saw from from uh from, from Jalen Brown so uh yeah that's that's gonna be a real key going on the road uh you know you got three days off I mean you're gonna be well rested you get Marcus Smart back they've got every reason to come out and 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 really be firing right from the beginning so we've been talking for whatever 15 minutes or so, and and you saying Marcus Smart right there might be the first time that we've mentioned his name here in, right. in the show. And he is, uh, while it's not definitive, he is expecting to be back for Game Three. I think if you know as painful as it is, obviously for for fans or for people who just enjoy watching basketball, or you know th- those of us, it's like oh, like we don't have a game tonight as we sit here right now here on Thursday. Like let's go Celtics Bucks. We want to see it again. This three days off, three full days between games. Games. While it feels like an eternity, you know, for me, probably for you and many out there listening, it really is advantageous, I would think, for the Celtics right now. Certainly for Smart and looking to come back, you know, Jalen Brown in, in managing that hamstring injury, anybody else who has dings and bumps and bruises. And I, I fully recognize that works both ways. You know, the Bucks are, you know, healing their they're licking their wounds and everything else, but they're not getting Chris Middleton back, you know, here in this series. They're certainly not getting him back for games three or four if he does sneak back for the end of a long series. But, you know, I, I just think for, for Smart to be off, for them to be as successful as they were without him, to, again, hold the Bucks to a season-low 86 points, to play as locked in as, you know, the, the continuity that there was, and for him to now come back, as he hopefully will, and continue to be that, you know, heart and soul, as, as everyone has called him, and sort of head of the snake defensively, it, it, it can only help Boston. You know, as many ways as I look at game one as an anomaly, I think defensively, I look at aspects of game two as an anomaly, meaning typically you're not going to do what they did without Marcus Smart. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, and uh, when, when you look at it, look, if, if Derek White had come in and, and made four out of eight three-pointers, uh, and you start to say, geez, you know, they really needed that. And, uh, and, and can Marcus, he was 0 for 6. So, you know, <laughs> you're moving him back to the bench. I don't think you're really going to, uh, you know, feel that so much. 
Um, you know, and, and, and yeah, having Marcus Smart up there defensively, uh, I think it, uh, a few more days of rest. Don't forget for Robert Williams too, that, yeah. that you know, he's not a hundred percent. So every, every day off that he gets is, is, is extra beneficial. So that's going to help as well. But, but yeah, getting Marcus back, I, I'm curious to see what, what Emei Adoka does. You know, Marcus loves matching up with Giannis. He really does. Um, and, and, and he does a pretty good job of it for a guy who's, who's given up, you know, seven or eight inches. Uh, but it's when you look at what the Celtics have done so far, do you want to go away from that? You know, do you want to just see how that keeps working before you start making an adjustment? Do you make an adjustment in advance of, of something and maybe create a problem when there isn't one? Uh, or do you just kind of stick with what you've got? Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm curious to see what, uh, uh, what, what Udoka does with that, whether, whether he puts that kind of pressure on Marcus right away, at least for, you know, some possessions. Uh, to give uh, Giannis a different look, and uh, and and again, a guy who likes guarding him and, and has done okay with it uh, in the past. Uh, so I, I'm curious to see uh, how that goes, uh, but offensively as well. You know, I mean, like I say, it's it, it's not like Derek White came in and uh, and and burned up the Nets. So uh, you know, you're not going to you're going to be nothing but positive on 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 that side of the ledger. So uh, I'm curious to see what 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 Marcus Smart does. Uh, you know, coming out and uh, uh, and you know how aggressive he is and and how they use him defensively as well. More on all that in just a moment. First, want to take a break. Tell you about our good friends at BetOnline.ag. Of course, BetOnline, your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info and odds wagering and beyond. Find all the latest sports developments, including this week's odds for the Major League Baseball season, which is about a month in. We already have odds for the 2022-2023 NFL season, which is a few months away. Patriots, uh, you know, on the heels of that disappointing draft. They are plus 4,000 to win it all. Celtics, though, obviously, we're fixated on them. They are minus 125 to win this series against the Bucks. They are plus 475 to win the title. It was plus 325, so the odds have shifted just a little bit during this series. Celtics plus 175 to win the East, so that has, uh, you know, changed just a little from plus 150 when we spoke about a week ago. Some other interesting props, maybe if we have time, we'll get into it later on in the show. Next, Lakers head coach, Darvin Ham, who was a, uh, certainly, a, I, don't, I don't remember if he was a finalist, but he was a, a contender to get the Celtics job before Ime Odoka, plus 200. He's the favorite right now. Terry Stotts. Haven't heard that name in a little while, plus 500, or uh, don't count out Doc Rivers going back to L.A., but for a different team, plus 1,000. Bet online, your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting, folks, and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get you started. Join today. You got that promo code with the uh, welcome bonus we always tell you about, that's CLNS50. Uh, easiest way, bet online to wager on all the popular sports and games. Bet online where the game starts. Let's uh, keep going with defending Giannis, whether it's Marcus Smart, obviously, in, in whatever role that he plays in there, Sean, or obviously Al Horford, Grant Williams. Uh, you know, there was a uh, a stat that was floating around games one and two, according to NBA stats. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo specifically against Horford and Grant. 106 possessions, 37 points, 14 of 40 shooting. Uh, five shooting fouls drawn, seven turnovers, 11 assists. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's, I've said it a thousand times over. I'm not, you know, alone in saying this. Giannis is not a guy that you can stop. You know, you can't, you can't just, you know, take Giannis out of a game, even in the same way that the Celtics found ways to take Kevin Durant out or Kyrie Irving out in that first round against Brooklyn. You know, it's, 
Giannis is a whole different animal, man. So all you can do is kind of hope to contain him. Like even like game one, the Celtics did a good job on Giannis in game yeah, one. He still right. had a triple double and dominated the game. So it was that much more noteworthy, obviously, what they did in game two. How do you continue doing this here going forward? Yeah, I mean, I I think that first of all, you start with the two guys that that, that you mentioned, that's Horford uh, and, and and Grant Williams, uh, and you know, anybody talked about this the other day, and 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 it makes good sense, and you can see it in, in game two as a difference between game one and game two uh, is you've got to trust those guys a little bit, you know, let them let them do some individual defending against Giannis, uh, you know, they're both strong guys, uh, he's not going to run over them. Uh, and, and, you know, if you get him set up, then, uh, that, then, you know, they can at least keep him in those mid range jumpers, uh, and keep him away from the basket, uh, before you send that double team, they still want to double team him. But, you know, if you look at game one, they were sending that double real fast. You know, it was almost like the guys were, uh, were, were intimidated by him. Uh, and as soon as he got the ball, it was like, maybe we should be doubling. Let's go double. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, rather than, you know, having some patience with it and say, all right, let, let, when, when when Al Horford looks like he's in trouble or it's getting late in the shot clock, then we're going to send the double team. Uh, when when Grant Williams is in trouble, then we'll send the then we'll send the double team. But you're going to give those guys a chance to do some individual defending before you just send that right away. Because Giannis, I forget when Giannis came in. I think it was what was it, 2013. I remember hearing about this big Greek kid, uh, you know, who who was going to be a six eleven point guard, right? I mean, like that that was the thing. He was going to be a point guard uh, uh, coming in. Because of his ball handling and, and passing ability, he still has that passing ability. You know, he's not a point guard, obviously, but uh, but he can still pass. And and you know you really saw that in game one that he just picked them apart when they sent those double teams. If they sent him too quick, he's going to pick you apart with his with his passing. And and if they're making shots, he's going to he's going to easily you know get 10, 12, 13 assists like he did uh, in game one. So. Uh, you know they've got to be patient with those double teams. You know you, you want to send them and you want to you want to give him that look, no question. Uh, but there's times where you want to back off and 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 and, and let let Grant let Al do some defending before you send that double team. So uh, we do have a couple of questions from Twitter on this subject that I wanted to save for this point in the show from uh, J.K. Ballin. Game two defensive adjustment to not help on Giannis define the C's advantage. What wrinkle or adjustment will they add in game three to stay a step ahead? Yeah, I, I mean, like I said before, the thing about Buttonholzer is he doesn't change that much. You know, I'd like to see them run some more uh, pick and roll with with Giannis, and either as the uh, as the roll man or as the ball handler. Both ways, he's a very efficient scorer uh, when they run pick and roll with him. They just don't do it that much. They only do it a few times per game. Uh, but, you know, he's in, you know, the 80th percentile on both of those categories in terms of his efficiency uh, when when you use him in pick and roll. Um, you know, I, I wonder if they'll try that. I think that's something that that, that could be effective against the Celtics, uh, especially if you're going to have him single teamed against guys who are you know fairly slow defenders. You know, as good as Al and, and Grant Williams are, nobody's going to pick them uh, to win a sprint, uh, I, I, I think. So, um, you know, as long as that's the case, I think, uh, you could definitely put them in pick and roll. It's not something that the Bucks do a lot of, uh, but it's something to look out for because I think it could be pretty effective against the way the Celtics are trying to uh, defend them right now. Another one here, uh, and and sort of bleeds into some of what we've been talking about, but there's enough new in here from Toyota's very own. Can Giannis take it to another level, or is this you know why he has Middleton? The fact that Jason hasn't really gone off uh, so far yet is that a good sign? 
Yeah, I mean, I, they've got to find ways to get them going downhill. Uh, you know, that's 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 one thing that the Celtics have been effective. Uh, like like I said before, you know, I mean, the, the pick and roll is a good way to do that. Uh, there are other ways. You know, you don't have to do the pick. There's other other screens that you can set to get him. Uh, you know, moving toward the basket. Um, I, I I think he's been a little too stagnant. Uh, maybe some of that's on him. Maybe some of that's on the coach. Uh, but uh, but but there's got to be more movement involving him. You know, that I think the rest of the team has done a good job. Uh, as far as the Bucks go and moving, trying to get open, trying to trying to give Giannis the passing lanes that he needs. Uh, but if you want to get Giannis going and get him some easy buckets, I think uh, uh, I, I think some of it's got to be movement on his part, whether that's pick and roll or just some other screens that that, that get him uh, going downhill toward the basket. That's when he's most dangerous. Uh, certainly, to get out in transition. You know, that's again the Celtics really do try to take that away, like like most teams do. Uh, and uh, it, but if you're if you're if you're the Bucks and you really want to see Giannis out on the fast break. That's uh, uh, that's the ideal situation. If there's something, and, and tell me if I'm just, you know, talking out of my butt here, which is totally fine. Uh, but I, I feel like in watching these games, as compared especially to that, to that net series and, and their superstars, I, as well as the Celtics have done so far on Giannis, I don't feel like I see Giannis out there getting frustrated. I, I feel like he's still just, you know, he, he's still Giannis. He's still just, you know, in, in his mind, he's not worried about what they're doing to him. He feels like the best is still, you know, is, is yet to come. He's not flustered. He's not, you know, how do I get around this? How do I, how do I beat these guys? How do I improve my percentages? I, I feel like he's, he's still kind of right where, you know, I, I realize the numbers aren't where he wants them to be, but he within his game is still kind of where he wants to be or, or is Lee, at least in that, that range of outcomes. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. You know, I think he's had some frustrations in, in terms of the shots that he's missed, but uh, but but he hasn't let that affect him. Um, I think he's like I say, he's such a great passer. You know, that he, he's always going to have that, and and he's never been a guy to get frustrated at teammates, uh, even if they're not making their shots. Uh, so you, you haven't seen much of that. Uh, I think the free throw line is is probably something to keep an eye on. You know, he's going to continue to be aggressive, uh, and if he gets one of those games where where he goes to the line 17, 18 times, and he can he can make a, a fair number of those, you know, which is always uh, a question mark. Obviously, that's improved for him over time, but uh, you know, still a question mark. But you know, if he gets and he goes thirteen for eighteen from the free from the free throw line, that's going to really help him as well in terms of his shooting. So uh, you know, that's uh, that that that's probably to me an X factor in the two games uh, going back to Milwaukee is going to be. Uh, Giannis at the free throw line. What what do we see from him there? How often does he get there? Is he going to get a lot more calls on his home floor uh, than he got in Boston? Uh, you know that's that that's going to uh, really affect how the how the Celtics defend him. Can he get uh, Grant Williams or Al Horford into uh, into foul trouble, or if they have Tatum and and Brown on him, can he get them into foul trouble? Uh, you know that's that that's going to be a big factor in these two, these uh, two games in Milwaukee. I'm not, you're probably on the record somewhere uh, for, for this, be it on a, a podcast or in one of your articles. I just haven't seen it. Where, where did you have this Celtics Bucks series going when it started? What was your prediction? Going yeah, on? I, you know, I, I thought it was going to be a seven game series. I, I don't think I'm alone in that, uh, given the, 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 the nature of this matchup and, uh, and, and just the way these two teams have played uh, throughout the course of the year. Uh, I, I thought the Celtics would win. I thought the home court would, uh, would come through in, in, in a seventh game. Uh, I still think that, you know, watching these first two games, I have, there's nothing there that makes me think, uh, that, uh, uh that this thing is not going to go seven because, uh, it, it, 
such a great matchup. And, and I think the Celtics will get that little extra boost from getting Marcus Smart back and just get a little healthier uh, on uh, uh, in game three. And they'll be able to win one of these games in Milwaukee, come back home uh, tied up at 2-2. So I was just going to ask you that. Is that, you know, you, you feel pretty confident we're looking at this becoming a, a best of three here in a couple of games versus Boston having kind of squandered an opportunity at home in the first two? Yeah, I mean, look, there's no question that that was an opportunity squandered. You know, if you lose a game at home, you know, especially where you just kind of don't show up, or the team that we've seen hasn't just didn't show up, uh, and what what was you know, no question, the biggest game of the year. Uh, then yeah, that's that's a squandered opportunity. But you know, it's been a resilient team. It's been a team that's been able to bounce back. Uh, and uh, and you know, I've seen enough from Milwaukee, especially without Chris Middleton. Uh, to make me think this is not an invincible bunch. You know, Drew Holiday has not been great, and 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 you know he really needs to be great. Um, and and when you when you get past Drew Holiday, like I say, it's a pretty steep drop. Uh, their role players do a very good job filling their roles, uh, but they don't really have that number two. Uh, and I think that's going to cost them in one of these next two games. It is interesting when you look at a hierarchy, right? For you, you could do this with with any series across the league this isn't specifically a Celtics Bucks thing but you look at at sort of just the the balance of the rosters and obviously best player in the series at least on paper without question is Giannis Antetokounmpo but after that you know the next two I would think goes to Boston it's it's Tatum and it's Brown and then you you know maybe you go to Holiday from there and it, it just sort of bounces at that point with Middleton not involved here in terms of the role players and that's not specifically the bench but the role players who do you give the edge to here you know, I give the edge to the Celtics, uh, you know, and, and, and again, that's with a, uh, with a healthy Marcus Smart, uh, with Robert Williams, uh, you know, him getting better and, 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 and getting more acclimated to playing regular minutes, you know, which, which I, I still don't think really has happened, you know, given the fact that he's played game three and game four and, and not a ton of minutes in those. Uh, and, and, and so he's still getting back to 100%. Um, you know, and, and look, Brooke Lopez is not the same guy he was even last year to me. Uh, you know, certainly not, you know, two years ago or uh, when the Bucks started this run when he first went to Milwaukee. Uh, he, he's, he's taken a step back. Um, and, 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 you know, then you get into, you know, Grayson Allen has been very good, uh, but played above his, uh, above his talent level. And, and, you know, we're, I think we're seeing that kind of come back down a little bit to, uh, to, to what his level is. Uh, uh, you know, Bobby Porter, same thing. I mean, he, he's been fantastic. Uh, I, I don't think he can maintain that. You know, that's, he, he's playing above, uh, you know, and he did it last year in the playoffs. He really did a little playoffs last year. Obviously, he's a good playoff player. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he's, he's, he's punching above his weight a little bit. Uh, and, and, and to me, from the Celtics, I think you're seeing uh, a kind of effort from the, from the role players that, that is maintainable, that you can rely on. Uh, and, and, and maybe there's even some, you know, I think Derek White can play better, obviously. Um, you know, Peyton Pritchard, I think. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's not, not, it, it's a low bar so far, but, yeah. uh, uh, yeah, I mean, no question. He can play better. He has to play better. And I, and I think will, uh, you know, maybe we'll see Daniel Tice if, at some point if, if, if MA decides to, uh, you know, throw a wrinkle in there. Um, you know, I, I just think that right now the Celtics have more cards to play, uh, and the guys who haven't played well have, uh, more to go, you know, that, that, that they mm-hmm. can give more. Whereas I think that that what we've seen from the Bucks and their role players has pretty much been what we're going to see uh, with them at their best. You know, he he probably doesn't care. He's probably not listening to it. He's certainly not listening to us right now. But I do feel a little bad for Derek White in that he's you know he, he's got a I don't I don't know if this was true with the Spurs, but it's certainly here in Boston. 
you know, he's got a little Marcus Smart in him in in the sense that, you know, people that are more casual and just kind of look at the box score, they just assume if the guy is, you know, isn't putting up X number of points or or isn't hitting X number of shots or shooting at least, you know, whatever percentage from the field, he sucks, you know? And yeah, that's, you right. know, what, what Ime said the other day and has said countless times before, you know, not having Marcus for game two, unfortunate you'd love to have a a defensive player of the year anytime you can have him but it's true that the Celtics don't lose a ton on that end of the floor with Derek White they they don't I mean he truthfully like for a guy that went whatever 0 for 6 or you know no points and and you know he 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 actually had a good game too and and that's not it's not spin like he, he played 28 minutes Sean and he, he was a plus 22, which was tied with Grant Williams for the best in the game. It's I'm not going to sit here and say he was phenomenal. He had a great game, but he certainly didn't have a bad game in game two. And I, I think a lot of people just sort of look at the raw numbers and assume that he did. And that's sort of where we're at with Derek White over the last, you know, weeks, months, you know, going back right. to when this. Right. That, it goes to since, since he's been here. Yeah, you're right. And that goes to, to since he's been in Boston, you know, when, when he got here and, and he was shooting whatever it was, you know, 28 percent from the three point line in his first, you know, 15 games or so. Uh, but they were winning. I, you know, it, it wasn't a big deal that he wasn't shooting great. You know, it wasn't really that bad. Noticeable, you know, he's coming off the bench and and and, and providing them with sort of defensive spark and enough uh, ball handling off the bench, and that, that that's what you wanted out of him. Uh, and, and and you know, then toward the end of the year, he started making some shots, and, and you say, well, this is just gravy, right? Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, look, they're, they're going to need something out of him, though. They're yeah. going to need something offensively. You know, they can't have they can't have uh, a goose egg, uh, you know, from a guy that they're going to play, you know, twenty eight thirty minutes or, or whatever it's going to be. Um, they, they've got to get some production out of them. No, no question about that. Uh, but you're right that it's not, it, it hasn't been a big deal, uh, because they, because he's doing enough other stuff that, that you just don't really notice the, uh, um, you know, the offers, uh, that, that we've seen. Like I said, especially in, a, in, in his first, whatever it was, month or so, uh, with the Celtics, uh, you know, where he really did struggle with the shooting. Um, you, you know, it, it just wasn't noticeable because they were winning, uh, and, and, and he was out there making winning plays. I want to uh, phrase this, uh, I guess, uh, I want I want to put a caveat in front of this, just so that I'm being perfectly clear to anyone that would uh, otherwise maybe misinterpret what I'm saying. Within his role, that's the precursor here, within his role, Al Horford's been exceptional this season. Exceptional. You know, for, for what the Celtics have asked him to do, he's not like, he's not a top 25 player in the NBA or something like that. I'm not suggesting that, that you know, it, somebody give him a, a new contract for $30 million a year at, you know, age 36 or however old he is at this point. Al Horford, though, the way that they have used him, the way that they have managed his minutes, managed his workload, I mean, he's playing like he's 30. You know, he has turned back the clock, Sean. I know you know this. You've watched him closely. You've written about him very recently. And and this is, you know, a constant sort of uh, talking point in some of the some of the text threads that I'm on with friends of mine who are Celtics fans while we're all watching these games. I, I, I do wonder what the Celtics, what, you know, Brad Stevens obviously loves Al Horford, probably still doesn't get enough credit for flipping Kemba for Horford in terms of the, you know, the, the, net both ways quite frankly but right, you know right. what you're what you're losing and what you're gaining 
But I wonder what they do with him going forward, given, you know, that that looming price tag for him next season. But he just he fits so damn well. Yeah. And, and you know, he's also been really important in, in, in what we've seen from Robert Williams, uh, that, you know, getting him back. Uh, that's that's gone a long way toward uh, the development of Robert Williams, the consistency, the lack of the mental mistakes that we used to see, uh, you know, some of the crazy fouls, um, you know, that that. A lot of that, you, you've got to give Al credit. He's worked very closely with Robert Williams, so uh, you've got to give him some credit for that as well. Uh, at the same time, he's due twenty six and a half million dollars next year. They can say, you know what, we're 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 done. We're going to let you go, Al, uh, and the contract is only guaranteed for fourteen and a half. So if you save that twelve million bucks, uh, let's go to the finals. Then it's nineteen and a half millions, and, and you know maybe then at that point it's an easier decision. Uh, but you know that there's a big implication for that 12 million because that puts them so far over the luxury tax uh, that it gets them up near the, the luxury tax apron. And what that means is that you've got the $17 million Evan Fournier trading player exception that you can't use. If you're too close to the, uh, to the, to the tax, you cannot go over the apron with, with, with the trade exception. Uh, so you're not going to be able to use that 17 million. Uh, if you if if you battle Horford, that's it, it's going to be very. You can maybe get rid of some other contracts and, and create a little wiggle room, uh, but you're not going to be able to use that 17 million uh, if you keep Al Horford. Uh, the question becomes, though, Adam, who are you going to get with that 17 million? You know, a, a trade trade exception is going to get you a Josh Richardson for for it. It's going to give you a guy who another team is okay with just getting rid of the contract, uh, and and you might have to give up. Uh, you know, maybe a first round pick, a good player, a second round pick. If it's if it's not a great play, you know, you have to decide then, are you going to get somebody with that TPE who's better than Al? Who's going to do better for you than what Al is is, is going to do next year? Uh, and I think at the beginning of the year, you, you know, the answer was probably, yeah, there's no way they're going to guarantee him uh, at twenty six and a half million for next season. Uh, at this point. I don't know. I mean, look at, look, look who they could possibly get. You know, I mean, who, who are you going to bring in at this point who's going to have a bigger impact, uh, for what you're doing, uh, than, than, than what Al Horford is, uh, you know, just, just by using a traded player. Except I, I, I think it's a much bigger question now than it was even a few months ago, uh, to the point where, you know, you talk to people around the league and they think, yeah, you know, he's probably sticking around, you, you know, that, uh, uh, that, that he's a, too much to that team to just let him go. Getting under what the would tax, you do? <laughs> well, I, I mean, it, it's hard to say because I, I think the I think the way you presented it is exactly right, which is you have to look at it and say, is player X better for us than Al Horford? I think ultimately right. that's you know that's what it's going to come down to with with whomever it is that could spring available. I think part of it too. And and sounds like a cop out, I realize, but we just, you know, short of like Zach Levine, who's constantly being talked about as someone who could be on the move next year, we don't really have a sense of, you know, what stars, borderline stars could be looking for a change or teams that could be, you know, looking to move them. So it's it's really it's just, you know, forecasting right now that that yeah. becomes very difficult. Yeah, and and but I mean you can look at like I say, you can look at that seventeen million dollars that you could possibly have. Right. Uh, and 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 understanding that it's a, it's just an 
it's just a traded player exception. So you're not giving up anything. You're just taking back somebody. Uh, and 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 the, the caliber of players that teams are going to be willing to just give up to you uh, or to do a sign and trade so they can get their own, you know, sort of like what happened with Evan Fournier, yeah. uh, you know, that's it, it's not going to be great. You know, I mean, you could get, say, Robert Covington. Uh, is he really going to be better than Al Horford, though? If you really watched Robert Covington over this year, uh, you know, he was terrible. He was not he was not the player that, that you would have thought of, you know, three, four years ago. But that's the kind of guy that you're looking at. Uh, and, and, and at some point, you have to say, you know, not just on the floor. Obviously, there is, uh, you, you know, like you mentioned, Al's been great on the floor, but the off-the-floor stuff, too, that, that he brings, uh, you know, Culture-wise, is it is it going to really be beneficial uh, to let him go, even if it's uh, uh, and look, it's not our twenty-six million dollars, so it's easy for us to sit here and say. Uh, but it's just, I, I, it, it, it's hard to see where that, that's going to be a benefit to the Celtics uh, in the end, where they're going to be able to get anybody. Because, like I say, the, the PPA is you're, you're giving up nothing for something, and if you're giving up nothing, then you're probably not going to, you know, like I said, Josh Richardson was the guy that got last year. That's you know that's the caliber of guy that we're talking about. I don't know that there's a guy out there that that's going to make me think you know yeah let's get rid of Al Horford and, and bring in this guy. But continuing in the spirit of hey it's not our money. I know that you know something that was was really painful to a lot of Celtics fans over the course of you know last off season and into this year around the trade deadline and you know because nobody at that time envisioned this team becoming a contender obviously which which certainly it has at this point. I I certainly didn't foresee any of this happening especially going back to the early months of the season under email and and you know the way these guys were clicking and lack of buy-in and all of that you know we don't need to relive it because it was so painful yeah. obviously but one of the things that that was hard was you know there there was this sort of you know looming question of you know is ownership willing to pay into the tax you know for a contender they've always said they are well now you have a team that very clearly regardless of what does end up happening this year you have the pieces to be a contender are they going to be willing to spend into the tax, even if it means, you know, hey, it doesn't work out and the next year they got to revert course and, you know, get back under? Fine. Like, that's a problem for future Wick and Pags and all those guys. Right. Do you think that, you know, this coming off season into next year, they'll be willing to to get a little fiscally uncomfortable in order to, you know, get to banner whatever number it is if 18 comes this year, you know? Yeah, I, I think they're, they put themselves in a position where they almost have to. If you look at uh, the way things are structured right now, um, you know, unless you're going to give up Marcus Smart, unless you're not going to extend uh, or, or give a new deal to Jalen Brown when he's up in two years, um, unless you're not going to give a, an extension to Grant Williams, who I think has, has probably earned himself a decent contract, uh, certainly in the last uh, four months or so, um, you know, then then – that's the only way you're going to avoid the luxury tax. Other than that, you're in it. And, and, and I think it's, uh, you know, we saw this at the trade deadline this year where you, I think what they were doing at the trade deadline this year by trying to get under that tax is avoiding the repeater tax. You don't want to be over and over in the tax. Then you get some, some real severe, some real severe penalties. So I think they were avoiding the tax this year in order to say, okay, we're going to be in the tax next year. Uh, and then we'll deal with it from there. Uh, and, and, and I think that's the situation that they're in. And, and, you know, that does go back to Al Horford. He's going to have his 26 million on, on the books this year. Uh, and it comes off after that. You can still sign him, you know, at a, at a reasonable number, you know, whether it's a, uh, you know, a, more of a mid range deal, you know, five, six million bucks a year, whatever it is. Um, but, you know, you, you do get some relief there as you start to, 
to get into the extension for Robert Williams, for Grant Williams, you know, for, for, for the uh, for, for these other contracts, he's going to have to pay. But um, yeah, I think I, I think there's an acknowledgement that they're going to have to be in the tax next season, uh, and that's one of the reasons that they tried so hard to get under the tax uh, in in uh, in February at the trade deadline. I do have to ask you while we're sort of talking along these lines, and we'll we'll wrap up in a couple minutes here. But uh, you had a report uh, in a week week and change ago that that the Celtics are a dark horse along with, I believe it was the Miami heat, a dark horse with the heat to sign Carmelo Anthony. And I know a lot of people scoffed at that, Sean, not, not because, you know, people question your reporting. You're very good at what you do, but it was looking at Mello and saying like, how does this guy fit? You know what they're looking to do, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Like it, if there's one thing it feels like Brad and Eme have collectively done or jointly done together, it's it's like weed out anybody who doesn't play, you know, elite defense. And then you talk about the idea of a Carmelo Anthony coming in. I mean, do you do you put any stock of that being like a real possibility? Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it was something that they considered uh, before he signed. Uh, with, uh, with with Portland uh, three years ago. I mean, they they had considered bringing him in. I, I think you know what the negatives are uh, with Carmelo, but you know what the positives are too. Um, you know, I think there's, uh, you know, there's been some good experiences with him in terms of his leadership, you know, which wasn't what you would have said 15 years ago about him, but uh, but it is now. Um, uh, you know, certainly he's a guy who come in and make shots for you and stretch the floor. I think that's something that, uh, uh, that the Celtics need a little bit more of, especially... Uh, you know, something that if it's somebody that they can trust with that. Um, and, and again, look, I mean, when I was talking to the executive who, who mentioned the Celtics, you know, he had them, like I said, as a dark horse. Miami has another dark horse, uh, but said going back to the Lakers is, 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 is the most likely thing, if not, than going to Brooklyn uh, and finishing out his career with the Nets. So, you know, if I had to put a percentage on it, the Celtics would be pretty low on that on that percentage part. Uh, but certainly it's it, it, it's something that, uh, you know, the team considered before and, 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 and I think would consider again. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> he could go back to L.A. LeBron could name himself head coach and they could, you know, just, you know, I don't know, load up the banana boat and, and you know, continue to get his butt. <laughs> I, time, I'd like to see I'd like to see him finish up. You know, is in the league. I, I, I think going back to Brooklyn makes the most sense for me. If I was, if I was him, you know, finish out your career with the Nets. They almost signed him that back in 2019. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Durant really wanted him, and, and it was basically the front office that was like said what you just said, and that is he didn't play enough defense. We're not going to sign him. Uh, but you know, he, he was pretty effective with the Lakers. You know, just as a shooter, obviously not a great defender, but he, you know, as a guy who's going to come in, uh, play 15, 20 minutes, and 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 make shots for you. You know, he can still do that. All I heard you say there was that I could be a front office executive. That's those those those, those were the words. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, this show, as always, powered by our friends at BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a fifty percent sign up bonus. Uh, I, I don't think much is going to change in the next couple of days. So if uh, if you 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 guys are listening to it the day we've recorded, or obviously the day after, or even as a ramp up to Game Three. We can let all this just kind of marinate, you know, all the the strategy talk and the will he, won't he for Marcus Smart and what's to come here in what is obviously an exciting series. This is, it's a gift, Sean, you know, we said against the Nets, like that's a, that's a conference finals kind of matchup. Well, this Celtics Bucks 
matchup is uh, is much the same. And if the Celtics do advance and get the heat in the next round, it, it would feel like the the same thing yet again. It's a it's a deep, fun conference here in this particular postseason. It's been uh, been been a really a, a stressful time, but a good time all all at once. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be even more fun in June when they uh, when they take on the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, sounds great. All right, thanks to uh, Evan Behind the Scenes producing, as always, Sean Devaney, good friend of this program. I'm Adam Kaufman. Like, subscribe, all that good stuff on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're finding us. We appreciate it. Go Celts, obviously. And, uh, you know, if you're watching on the video, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye.